Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 256 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you, for real. Now, before I introduce today's guest, there's some freaking exciting stuff coming up just down the road a wee bit. And that is the Craft Beer Label Design course launching again on June 22nd. Now, we launched this at the beginning of this year, and I said, it's only open for a few days, and then we're shutting it down. Now we're opening it up again, and I didn't think we could make it better because it was already so good, but we managed to. We've added a workbook to the program. We got Nick Longo back doing an Adobe Dimension walkthrough, an introduction for designers, and I was blown away by that tool. We've also got more modules on specialty finishing with labels. There's so much, so much more. Oh, you know what? The other one too that's pretty awesome I'm excited about is branding a brewery is now also part of the course. Not just labels. We're going big with the branding of a brewery this time. Awesome. It's such a great course opening up on June 22nd. It will not open a day sooner and it's only open for a few days after that. Now, if you cannot wait until June 22nd and you want to start learning label design right now, go to printdesignacademy.com and get the free guide there to start learning and understanding how some of the best labels are created, the secrets to incredible label designs. Printdesignacademy.com and keep your eye out for that June 22nd. Something special going on there. Today's guest, today's guest, today's guest on the show is Karina Daniluk from Kelowna, British Columbia. She's a lead designer specializing in UX and UI stuff, currently working for a sweet little startup based out of Kelowna, but she also put in over 12 years at a little company you might have heard of called Disney. Now, in this episode, we talk about how she ended up working for Disney. She originally was working with a local Kelowna company that Disney bought out. There was a big transition in, you know, how Disney was going to run things and all of that kind of stuff. She talks about what that was like. She also shares with us a lesson that she learned on a specific Disney project. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you more. I'll just leave it there. I'll leave that there for you. She also shares with us a project that she was a part of that was a big deal. Now, as soon as you hear what it was, you'll be like, yo, that is a big deal for sure. She was a part of this project. A whole team was. It went amazing. The end result was amazing. It was looking amazing. But, and you may have run into this, it gets killed by something out of your control. The higher-ups change their minds or or whatever you want to call it, but something happens and it kills the whole project. So she tells us about that project, what it was, and what happened. She then shares with us about a project where she was able to dramatically, no, I mean dramatically, increase the conversion rate on a website and a checkout for a specific product. She shares a few of the changes that she made and what the results were of the changes that she made with it and why she's so proud of it, of course. All that and so much more in this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. My guest today is Karina Dandeluk. Here we go. Hey, 
Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Karina, welcome to the Quickie Podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Actually, before we get going, I'm going to make sure I turn my microphone on. I made that mistake in a most recent episode, 250 plus in. And uh, yeah, that that was the first time I've done that. So now I'm like paranoid about it. It's all good. Microphone's on, ready to rock. Um, Before we get too far here, Karina, are you ready for a quickie? Yes, I am. All right. I buy it. I believe it. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to you. We're going to start it off with that and briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Karina. Um, I'm born and raised in Canada, living in BC, Kelowna. Uh, currently a lead designer at O. And uh, in the past, I did some freelance and worked with Disney for many, many years. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my career and who I am. Awesome. So give me a little bit of like the timeline on that. Like how long were you... With Disney, was that contract based? Were you down in California? Was that you know? Give me give me some timeline and context to these. Yeah, good question. So I was a really young kid, believe it or not, still a teenager, and I started to work at Club Penguin, which was this like kids online gaming virtual world web you know um, website, mm-hmm. and I started off as like a customer support rep. And I was really interested in like having a design career. So I was working part-time there while I was going to school. And then as soon as I graduated, they hired me as like a junior graphic designer. And uh, they got bought out by Disney right around, right, like not too long before I uh, started as a junior designer. And yeah, the rest is history in terms of like uh, 12 years I worked at Disney working on the Club Penguin product or, or um, actually I worked on other projects too, but most of it was the Club Penguin brand and their product. But we started after many years into it, um, we started experimenting with different games as well. So vehicles are 12 years wrapped up in that 12 years, which is a long time. Um, and it was, I was always in Kelowna, BC. The whole always time. in Kelowna. Awesome. So remotely yeah. working and that just worked out well. No, we had a studio here. No way, really? People. Yeah, when we got bought out, we grew so huge. Um, and the three co-founders were in based in Kelowna. So, yeah. and we're all like mostly Kelowna people. People would be hired from all over the world to to live in Kelowna and work in tech. And so the tech industry didn't really exist in Kelowna until Club Penguin came around and Disney bought us out. And yeah, like I said, um, we grew to around 400 people, which is a pretty good size office. Yeah, and 400 people? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's a good size office. Yeah, it was pretty not bad. Not bad situation to be like a Canadian-born person and then working for Disney and you don't have to leave Canada and you get all the, like, you know, health benefits up here. and But then you get the benefit of, like, working with Mickey Mouse. So <laughs> that was <laughs> That's fun. awesome. Anytime mm-hmm. you can work with Mickey Mouse. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Classic. So I want to hear now a little bit more about how you got connected with this design world. Like, how did you know you wanted to design? Like, so let's kick this back to childhood. What was your childhood like? And did that lead you in this creative direction? Yeah, so I 
I would consider myself like kind of creative growing up, but mm -hmm. just like I was interested in art, like generically. Um, and my parents aren't really artistic or anything like that, but they definitely supported me, whatever my interests were. They're just like, just do whatever it is you want to do with your life. Don't worry about, you know, other stuff. Just do what you like and go with that and see what happens. So I appreciate that they're always so supportive that way. And I said, I loved art. I would, I started off with doing um, like portraits of people and that was kind of interesting to me. Cool. And then uh, started like looking around and I was, I don't know what it was, but it was something about designing logos was really cool and interesting to me. Um, and I thought, you know what? Sounds like a thing of the future that if you can like make logos for companies, like that seems like that would work really well as a career and I could, I could totally do well in that. And so that's kind of where it started, where I just like, you know, you're driving around your local town. And you're like, that logo is so gross on the like street. <laughs> and you're like, it would be awesome if I could one day like redo it or something. So that was my inspiration of like, it would be nice to aesthetically improve my local town <laughs> in that, in that one little area. So, um, I was just very adamant about wanting to, you know, go to design school and stuff like that when I was in high school. So, and then I just did it. So this, like this path, like clicked pretty early for you. You were doing the drawing and sort of thinking about art and creative as you were younger and then mm -hmm. portraits turned to logos and started noticing logos and that became the path. That became the path. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So on that path, on that journey, is there some sort of logo or, or piece of art or something that stands out to you as like the most influential design of your life? Something you saw and has just stuck with you since? You know, that's so funny um, because there isn't really one thing. Like there's some things, you know, but, um, and I always kind of look back at some of like the the old school, especially Canadian uh, designers that created the logos that just never go away, like TD Bank mm -hmm. and, you know, that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, those those kind of stick around, I guess, in the back of my head. But um, the thing that influences me the most is actually just being connected to a local design community. That's a little bit different, but um, really it does because design is like also about people and mm -hmm. it's important to actually be connected to people and it, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, hundred percent. That's right. You know, this could be, and you know, on the show for this question, you know, we've had, you know, periods of design or books that were really influential. And th in this case for you, it's community. The design community has been the most influential and supportive mm -hmm. and just good to be a part of for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So within this larger design community in this design space, are there or who are some of the designers and brands that you currently follow or look up to? And what about them do you like? Uh, yeah. So one person that I absolutely look up to, uh, I think is amazing, is Celia Hodent. I met her at a Game UX conference in Vancouver several years ago. And um, I love her approach. She's... Um, She's actually into game psychology and mm -hmm. she does workshops. She wor works freelance right now and travels the world doing workshops and helping people and companies um, understand like a little bit of the cognitive science of actually designing games. Um, and she's really, she's written a book, like 
she's awesome. She used to work at Epic Games for doing like the design for uh, Fortnite. So she's she's got a good background, but uh, right now she's just traveling the world doing all that kind of stuff. And I just really respect that. It's really cool. Yeah, that's a cool thing. You know, traveling the world, getting to do something that you love and sharing and helping others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's, that's absolutely stellar. Um, do you have her Instagram handle? Do you know what that is off the top of your head? Uh, I just want to make sure I give her a shout out. Yeah, sure. Um, Instagram. I usually through LinkedIn kind of see her, check out her posts that she does have. Yeah, she has an Instagram. Here she is. Uh, it's just Celia Hoden. Do you want me to spell it? Yeah, sure. C-E-L-I-A-H-O-D-E-N-T. All one word. Awesome. Awesome. I'll check her out and we'll tag her. Yeah, she's got nothing here, though. <laughs> she's just, <laughs> she just says author of The Gamer's Brain, UX on Fortnite, founder of Game UX Summit. <laughs> but she's Plus. got a, a link to her website. Yeah. And then she's she's on LinkedIn. She posts a lot yeah. on LinkedIn. That's where I well, usually see her stuff. Got yeah. it. So LinkedIn website, there's lots of cool stuff there. So we'll, we'll make sure I tag that in the notes here just because that sounds like a really cool thing to, to check out and see what she's got cooking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now, uh, Karina, I wanted to pull up your website and do a little screen share here. And you had a few projects there that were posted um, as sort of previous work. And I want to just chat about a couple of those projects for a minute and just get a little bit of the behind the scenes and the work that you had to go through and um, any sort of stories that you can share about it. So we'll just add that to the stream here. Sure. All right. So up on the screen. So first one that really jumps out at me is this Club Penguin Island because that was such a big part of your career and sort of helping you grow in the design field. Um, So tell me about this. What's going on here? Okay. Club Penguin Island. Um, it was actually a total fail. <laughs> Sweet. So isn't that awesome? But um, that's okay because uh, we learned a lot from that. Yeah, that's so, the thing. It's not. It's not really a a fail. It's either a success or a lesson. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was definitely a lesson for sure. So let me just like take a step back a minute yep, and just yep. share with you where Club Penguin Island came from. So actually, Club Penguin was the original game. It started in 2005, started with, you know, three co-founders and a really small studio uh, with like some really kind of cheesy cartoony art. And their goal was they wanted to create a safe space online for kids to just like chat and hang out because in that day, which it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but it was actually over 15 years ago or actually over 20 years ago when they started the concept um, before they launched it. Um, there was, there were like chat rooms, but they always went inappropriate. You know, it was just never, mm-hmm. it never a space for kids. Um, and the games were always like, you know, nasty chat always going on and all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. the co-founders were like, you know, we have young children. We really want them to be in a space that we feel is fun and safe and that they can still chat with people and meet people online. So that was the the heart of where Club, Club Penguin came from. Mm-hmm. And we grew to like hundreds of millions of accounts. That's when, you know, Disney bought us out or whatever. And and yeah. we really, our, our mantra really aligned with Disney. So, and, and when we partnered with them, we were able to translate the game into multiple different languages and all this. So the original Club Penguin game lasted for, I think it was 15 years. No, not 15 years, 12 years. 
2015 was our last 2018 is when they shut down. Okay. So that would have been, yeah, like 13 years, 12 or 13 years. So when they shut down, Disney was super smart. This was AKA not smart. And then we're like, Oh, you know, there's so many things we want to fix about the original game. Yes. You know, like there's, we were plateauing a little bit because you know, having an online game like that for so many years, like it's already an incredible feat, but you can understand that at a certain point you want to maybe like redesign your tech base. And, you know, now you start thinking about the game design, like we've learned so much and we have such an old game with like so much legacy that maybe, you know, we're the same people, like, like we're all the same people and developers and we have the same heart, but like, can we do something that's more modern? Yep. So we came up with this concept that was mobile first because original game wasn't because mobile wasn't a thing in 2005. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so um, we did a mobile first game and we thought that it was, you know, like a really cool experience. We had, you know, a beta version out and people seemed to really like it. But the biggest mistake we made is we didn't talk to our audience how much they cared about the original game. And so Disney decided to shut down the original game the same night that we launched Club Penguin Island. So it's oh. like, imagine your childhood, you have this, like, you love Super Mario, and you're like, we're just going to flip the switch, turn it off, and now you have to play this new game, um, by the way. And yeah, you don't like the old game, right? Because it was kind of dumb and it had yeah, issues, Yeah, it was kind right? of old. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of old. Like, just move on, kid. Like, do the modern <laughs> game now. Yeah. And everyone just got up in arms like they hated it they hated on club penguin island so much because they were upset that we killed the original game it had nothing to do with the new game exactly exactly even they're just so that... emotional and they're like we're gonna destroy disney we're gonna destroy this thing and you know what they did they had so much power they did oh man yeah because that's the thing <laughs> is if you launched it and had it run parallel for a while and you know had this campaign of moving people over or incentives within game to move people over yeah they wouldn't even maybe notice the mistakes or, or little glitches or whatever there might have been yeah yeah and they just had this nostalgia mm -hmm. for the original game right Yep. So, I mean, we could have technically kept it running and just had both side by side and like you come over when you want to come over. Yeah. But no, we didn't. It was like the same night. So a lot of people were actually crying and upset, like really upset, like mental breakdown. Oh <laughs> so, my gosh. Yeah. Because they were attached so, to that original game. But anyway, yep. so the, the, this new game, the design process, I loved working with my team. They're so amazing. Um, and this, like you're starting to scroll down now. So this yeah. is going through the, the design process of this new game. So we start with this research and wireframing for design, then prototyping mm -hmm. and usability testing. Mm -hmm. So this is when the visuals and sort of the, the behind the scenes UX stuff just starts to come together. Yeah. Then yeah. You put, the, put the pretty stuff on top and see how that works. Yeah. And then, and we iterated a lot through really all of these stages, but, um, you know, sometimes you go back to the drawing board after you've done your final UI design and you're like, yeah, we'll redesign this experience, you know, and yep. make it better. So this, this just represents kind of a high level, but really we, we ran around the loop many times to, you know, get the experience right. I can imagine, you know, mm -hmm. something about this looks so familiar to me. I don't really remember the name club penguin, but something yeah. about this looks so familiar. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Something there. Yeah, something there. That's cool. I, I love the story behind that one as well. Um, so I'm going to pull up a different one here. Uh, I just, I'm going to, I'm stuck back and forth between the, okay, which one of these is, would you feel is more interesting? The Disney collectible pins or the shift logistics? Oh, the pins. Just go for <laughs> okay, the pins. Yeah. I was hoping you were going to say that. Like yeah. really. <laughs> awesome. Totally. Okay. Let's talk about this one here. What do we got going on? Cool. Well, um, as part of Disney culture, if uh, anyone is familiar with it, there's this whole, um, yeah, just like culture, subculture about collecting pins. And it kind of starts from when you go to the the Disneyland parks and you can buy these pin sets and you can collect them. And there's people all around, you know, employees, cast members, and you can trade pins with them. No and way. Yes, you can. And so it's kind of like a fun thing. And within the like, you know, as being a cast member, of course, we're part of the Disney company. It's really cool if we could collect pins that were custom made just for projects we did internally. So I had the privilege of being able to design these pins and they were distributed like amongst my whole team. And it was just internal, really rare. Some of them ended up on eBay and like, you know, Club Penguin fans would, you know, I don't know why they'd pay an arm and a leg, but I guess they did. They, they'd pay a lot to try and get these exclusive pins because they weren't meant for the public. They were just meant mm -hmm. for, um, for the cast members that worked on projects and stuff. Yeah. So such a cool thing. Yeah. So the kudos one, I mean, that could have been used for any Disney employee. It didn't have to be ours specifically, but um, that was a fun one. And actually, if you want to scroll up a little bit, yeah. Uh, scroll back to that one that has like the, yeah, you open it up and it says 10 years on it. Yeah. So that one was, was really cool. When we turned 10 years old, like the original game, mm -hmm. um, I designed this pin that kind of felt like, um, you know, a blast from the past and then now into the, the present day. And so it was this pin design where there was the front and then you open it kind of like a pocket watch. Yeah. And then you can see like the before and after. So the, the original penguin design was kind of this old school and then the right hand and it looks kind of vintage. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, I added all kinds of little details like hidden Mickeys and stuff like that, which is another kind of subculture of Disney. If you're a Disney fan, there's always hidden Mickeys and things. I just saw it right here. You did. I okay, saw nice. it. Yeah. Nice. I was looking for it. I saw hidden Mickey. And I'm like, where is this? Yeah. <laughs> I just found it. Nice. Yeah. So, and all the little like symbols in that one represents pillars of our game and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it was meaningful. What a cool thing. Now, had you ever designed pins before when you started creating these? No, actually at all. And I, I iterated on these a little bit. Like um, my first one was, you know, fine, but then, it was kind of fun to do more and more of them and, and kind of play around with what cool things can you do to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. This was my first one. This, this one that says 1.5 on it represented like okay. the app version. And that was our app icon Yeah, when that came out. So yeah, they were, they were really fun. It's fun to do a physical product and, and yes. you get these pins that are, shipped from china and they arrive at your door <laughs> that's cool so was there was there like a big learning curve to doing pin design correctly or was there a pretty good like prototyping or proofing phase yeah there was a little bit of a practice involved because you really have to think about the physical um 
elements. So mm -hmm. there's different materials that you use and there's certain limitations of like what it's going to look like and how thick your lines have to be for the metal to be able to make the right plate, like the mate, the right, you know what I mean? The template. Yep. So um, working with the factory, you have to work with them and um, you have to be really detail oriented to make sure that they translate your design properly mm -hmm. um, because like, and pick the right Pantone colors. You have to like do all that stuff, um, which was really fun. I liked it. So picking Pantones to go onto metal, like that's got to be a process in itself. Yeah. Like you just kind of guess, you just hope you get it right. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of guess. <laughs> you just like, it. you look at the Pantone, you're like, that looks pretty close. And then uh, they give you um, a visit, like they'll take a photo of what it ended up being and show you like, what it looks like but that photo could have you know like not the greatest lighting or slightly green like you don't know yeah. so then you're like oh that looks great and then you get the physical product you're like oh that that orange color was actually a little on the yellow side hmm but then you just you just <laughs> let it go and you're like that's fine <laughs> yeah moving on yeah it looks great it's in pin form love yeah. it awesome that's great uh, thank you so much for walking us through some of these projects so i'm going to take that down here now and now, unfortunately, Karina, I have to get to some of the tough stuff. Okay. This is the part of the show where I go through a few times in your career and a couple of projects that um, you might have made some mistakes on, you learned some lessons on, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners, but then we'll wrap this up and we'll finish up in a happy place. Cool. Sounds so good. first up, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Okay, so the most challenging was there was a period of time in Disney, kind of towards the end of my time there, mm -hmm. where um, it was just frustrating that there were decisions that Disney makes based on policies um, and rules that they have, and it just doesn't fit. It is it's just like a generic rule, right? And it doesn't fit like a person. So when you have hundreds of thousands of people working for you in a huge company like that, it's, you know, expected that there's lots of ladder structures of people, you know, lots of executives upon executives making decisions. You don't necessarily know why or what's going on higher up. And it's kind of like a government where things can get really slow to change mm -hmm. um, in like how things are done and stuff. So it was actually more about my personal career and feeling like I wasn't um, appreciated or uh, like valued as much with like the the overall company and like how come you won't change my title to what i'm doing because all of my you know my peers and my bosses are all saying like absolutely like you should be a senior designer by now but they just won't and you they won't tell you why but they just don't do it and they're like sorry next time we have limited budget and so there's all <laughs> these answers that they give and you're like wait what disney has a limited budget but they actually do have a budget that they have to like they're responsible for a bunch of shareholders they're a public company yeah. so there's so many things like an aspects of involved of like trying to manage that kind of a company that you can't just um, make every single individual happy necessarily mm -hmm. um, and so you can easily get caught in the middle of some of these situations that aren't your control and aren't yours and um, the truth is actually i was scared to change i was scared to like 
leave the company because I liked the people I worked with and um, Disney's pretty big and pretty safe, you know, overall, or at least I felt pretty secure and safe mm-hmm. and I didn't want to leave because I was scared. Like, am I going to find another job? I've been here for 12 years. I don't know anything else. Yeah. You know, like I, it's not like I've had all these different jobs that I can say, I just said I, I work for Disney. Like that's it. Yeah. And you know, there's also that part of it where, you know, talking to designers who have been at Disney and been at Nike and, you know, some of these like bigger names with some, a lot of clout, right. Being able to say, you know, I'm a designer at Nike. I'm a creative director at Nike. You know, that in itself, the company you work for sort of brings this fear and apprehension of like, is this as like good as it's going to be? Like, this is like a pretty big deal. I'm with Disney or I'm with Nike. Like what happens at, where do I go from here? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you just, this ends up like, it wasn't always like this at the company. It was so Mm -hmm. exciting and so fun. And I felt really valued for most of the time. Uh, But there's just, it came to a certain point when Disney decided um, as like a larger restructure of the whole company, when they ended Mm -hmm. up buying um, 20th Century Fox, Mm -hmm. they ended up, you know, laying off a bunch of people and restructuring everything. And then what happened was they ended up actually laying off all their internal studios and we were considered an internal studio, right? Internal game studio studio. So um, they felt it was more important and more stable again, looking at the stakeholders mm-hmm. to uh, focus on partnerships and only licensing to other game studios rather than holding their own. Cause it's, it holds a lot of risk, which they're right. But at the same time, if you have the right people, it's usually fine, but yeah. um it was just really hard for them. And they, they come from a history of being really great at making movies and like, they know that process to the end, but to get into the gaming industry was really hard for them. Mm -hmm. So they decided this isn't the best move for us. We're just going to get rid of them all. And in 2018, over the course of kind of 2017, 2018, that's what Disney did. It made the news uh, where, you know, thousands and thousands of people were laid off. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for work. And we were just amongst that. That's it. Like no one, it's not like we were bad people or anything or like right. suddenly we started slacking off. It was just, you just become a it's kind of, you could say victim, but you just it's became part of sacrifice. this. Yeah. Corporate sacrifice. And you know what? It was actually the best thing ever. That's the good out of Love this it. whole thing at the end. It was the best thing ever because, well, for one, you get a little severance payment. And when yep. you're, when you're working there for so many years, it's not too shabby of a, of a number. So that was cool. <laughs> so it made me feel like more relaxed to be able to like, okay, maybe I'll take a month off and then yeah. um, pursue some other stuff. But I ended up doing some freelance and kind of playing around with uh, working with different people, different designers. And, and then I ended up uh, working uh, with, Oh, that's the studio I'm working with right now. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't have been able to have this startup. It wouldn't have existed. So we are like this new project I'm working on. The freedom I have is amazing. Like the trust that I have with like my team and the thing that we're doing is like such a big thing that I'm really excited about it. And that never would have happened if they didn't lay us off because I wouldn't Mm. leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was a forced um, you know, a forced transition that turned out to be an incredible thing. Yeah, exactly. It was like the best transition of my life. That's cool. That's mm-hmm. cool. So the new studio O, um, mm-hmm. is that 
like a collection of people who were caught up in this layoff that have started something new or is is that yeah some of them Sweet. so yeah there's there's a good chunk of us that were um yeah all working together back at disney there yeah. and we started with oh we partnered with um somebody who was looking for you know like an, an a plus team mm -hmm. uh and it, uh he was a he's a our co-founder and um or one of our two co-founders and mm -hmm. um yeah like he was just trying to he was trying to find someone to partner with who had experience making apps delivering apps reliably and working kind of in the younger audience um in like industry as you could say or demographic mm -hmm. and uh just came across through like connections in the industry across our team so or a couple people that were from our team so then that's where we all kind of shouted out, hey, are you working at this company? Can you join us? Can you just leave that company you're working for and come join us for this like bigger project? And a lot of people just like ditched their projects that they were working on or the companies that they were working on so that we could work together again. So that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So you get the family back together again. Yeah, it's like we're like one big family. It's kind of kind of cool. I like that. Well, Karina, for this next one, I want to get a little bit more specific. Can you take us to a specific design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result? What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Sure. Um, okay. So I'll start off by saying that it was a really cool concept. It was a Lego Star Wars game. Ooh, a so Lego Star Wars game. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And we thought we were doing everything right. I mean, we did you know, the typical user research you do before you kind of get started. And um, we prototyped, we did a lot of design exploration. And um, we even um, we even partnered with uh, the Lego team and some people from Denmark came to Kelowna. <laughs> and nice. we, we ended up collaborating with each other on this concept that we were working on, like super secret concept. Um, but the interesting thing about how cool this was and how fun it was initially to work on this was also like, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Lego. I, I like it like as a product, it's, it's cool. And like where, what they've done with their product that how long it lasts and the quality of it and everything. But I also am married to, um, a Lego fanatic. Nice. So he loves Lego and he's like, what? You're designing a Lego Star Wars? What? <laughs> this is so, unbelievable. Yeah. So it was like, this is crazy. And so, um, yeah, it was really fun. We actually had a really cool game design and everything. Um, but then, so, and it was about eight months of work, by the way. Okay. And then uh, we got approved and we're like, oh, okay, great. Great news. And we got Greenland. They're like, yeah, we're going to build this game, blah, blah, blah. We're going to ramp up the, you know, like expand the team so that we can start producing this to get into yeah. production. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later was the massive studio wide shutdown. Uh, like this thing that I'm talking about where like yeah. Disney decided to shut down everything. So it really sucked. We were really all like kind of crying inside and disappointed because. Uh, still to this day, it would be a cool concept and yeah, it would be fun. I, I wonder if someone will come up with it uh, later on in life. But um, the thing I took away from it was you got to enjoy the journey. So like just because 100%. no one sees it, like, but did you enjoy doing it? Like while you were designing, while you were doing all that, even though no one saw it for the light of, light of day and you got no, you know, glory for it. Mm -hmm. 
you couldn't share it with your family really or anybody. Yeah. But did you enjoy what you did? And mm-hmm. I, and I would say that was the biggest takeaway was that I did. I had like the best time ever. It was so fun to work with that brand and um I would yeah, I, I wouldn't take that experience away. I would keep it. <laughs> so you go from this like absolute high of, oh my gosh, this is this is coming to life. This is going to be a thing. Like we're going to be able to play this game to two weeks later, shut her down. Yeah, just just turn off the switch. No, you're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> okay, so when you have a staff of, you know, 400 people, how does that go down? Like, is it just a letter that goes around the, is it an email that hits the inbox and then the next day you don't go back? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be a tough one, wouldn't it? Um, well, one thing I should mention about like the history of the studio is that over the course of a few years, there were some layoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so every year around March, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but I I guess I will, whatever. (laughs) Everywhere, it seemed to be every year around the March time, um, we were having layoffs where like a few people, like, I don't know, like Disney just decided like we got to slim up the team a little bit and it would get smaller and smaller smaller after a couple Mm -hmm. of years. And when we were working on this Lego Star Wars game, we thought, oh yeah, we're a small team, but we're mighty, like we can do this. And then we can ramp up afterwards. We just got to get through this. We just got to get this approved. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened is you do, like they hire an HR team uh, basically that flies in from the States. They um, start calling in interviews. Suddenly you get an email like, hey, you have an interview with some random person upstairs at 10 o'clock a.m. And then you're pulled into this room in HR and they're like, I'm really sorry. Here you go. Here's your papers. Um, That this is it. You can go home. Obviously you don't have to work (laughs) and they give you like a month's notice. So um, like they pay you until the end of that month for sure. Um, But like, obviously you're not really going to come back to work after that point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty good line in the sand. So that's like, they, did they do it as, as individuals or did they bring a a group of people in at the same time? They did. uh, They, they kind of started off with the individuals and obviously like we all were talking to each other and like understood what was happening. So then, you know, one of the, you know, project leads or something would get up and like we just kind of have a conversation and talk it wasn't actually entire studio wide by the way it would kind of be in smaller pods but then you can kind of talk and like share about it and that day was completely useless like it doesn't matter anymore so you're just this is about the people and this is just about hanging out and talking and so it kind of gave people some time to just um absorb what was happening yeah and yeah, it was it was kind of nice. It was just sort of self-organized at that point. Yeah, yeah the sound, sounds like they did it as amicably as possible. Like it went pretty smooth and they treated people very fairly. They they're actually very fair. So yeah. they they have done this more than once. I don't know if you've ever kept track of, you know, so so and so Disney layoffs, whatever. They know yeah. what they're doing and they yeah. from a legal perspective, but also they do they're not mean to you. Like they're yeah. they're fine. Yeah. yeah, they take they take care of their employees even on their last yeah. day. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, no, good. yeah, they were good. Um, okay, I'm going to turn this around here for you, and I'm 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 selfishly curious here if the answer to this is going to be something that we already talked about. Um, but now I want you to take us to a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, the one that just makes your heart sing. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's really hard to actually think about what that was because I, there's like a lot of projects I've really enjoyed working on. And yeah. I mean, I'm really proud of this, um, Oh, project that I'm working on right now, which is mm -hmm. the startup, um, our app. So I guess I would say that's the thing that I'm most proud of is the thing I'm working on right now. Awesome. Super cool. Um, but like something that I guess I can share in a little more detail is, um, one thing it kind of proves how powerful design is just like it's like it was a smaller project it actually wasn't a huge project but it was really cool to see kind of the before and after of it so we had at disney like a flow where people could buy a membership for our game okay and um we measured you know the statistics of how many people arrive at this screen and then you decide not to buy or decide to buy yeah. and it was a you know a certain number or whatever and With then the conversion rate yeah, the conversion rate. That's right. Exactly. The yeah. conversion rate. And um, so I mocked up some designs. It was like a project to um, make that experience better and nicer and more fun. And by doing that project at the end, when we released it, it actually it really changed um, hugely, like the numbers they it was it resulted in like a hundred thousand dollars more income per month for the company what? just based on like some design changes. Karina, you need to design me a conversion page. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> so amazing. yeah, no, it was it was a really cool thing. You're like, wow, that is the power of design is like you can actually um, make your company way more money. <laughs> that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's super cool. Um, you know, I, I know the world of conversion rates and, and things yeah. like that. So like hearing that sort of change, it's just, it's just incredible, but you're right. The power of design and understanding that, you know, this is how a user is going to go through this, the, this buying experience. Mm -hmm. This is how a consumer by human nature is going to look for things and where they're going to look for things mm -hmm. and having all of those boxes ticks, ticked and all of those answers in the right spot. That's right. You can immediately question, answer, question, answer. Happy days. Let's buy. Like yeah, you, exactly. You, you have can to make, make them feel simple. good. Yeah, you have yeah. to make them feel good. Mm -hmm. You have to make them, uh, you know, be really transparent with them of what's mm -hmm. going on so you can build trust with them. And if you can take those boxes and you have value at the other side, like it's something mm -hmm. that they actually want, then they're going to do it. So. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, getting into some sort of like some, uh, some more fun stuff. I'm wondering, Karina, if there's a book you've read recently or a blog you read or a podcast you listened to or advice you'd received or something recently that you really enjoyed or really impacted your life. Okay. Um, so one thing is, there, it's, it's never one thing for me. It's always like a bunch of little things that add up to, you don't know how you got there, but mm -hmm. it was all these little things. I do follow some, um, I like subscribe to some newsletters and stuff from some companies. So Loop 11 is a user research company and they, mm -hmm. um, they have like a pretty cool newsletter that I like to follow and I'll, you know, peruse like whatever articles that they have there. I subscribe to Medium Weekly Digest. And so what you do is you set your, you know, when you um, go to Medium yep. um, and you set your interests and, you know, set it to, let's say, design, UX, whatever, um, you get fed all these great articles. And I find them pretty, pretty helpful. Sometimes they get repetitive over, you know, after a while, but that's okay. And sometimes there's a fresh take on something. So um, I would say, like, in terms of advice, just keep feeding yourself all the time. 
Um, and eventually it will absorb into your psyche, I guess, or into your, um, into yourself that it will just feel more like second nature because you've Mm -hmm. read it so many times, but you have to keep doing it. Like you can't stop. You have to keep reading these articles all the time and keep yourself afreshed and like learning different stuff. I would say if there's, there's like an advice there is like, don't stop. And it doesn't have to be some like one amazing thing. It, it's like a bunch of little things can, and can make also the same kind of impact. Mm-hmm. And like one three word thing, I actually always say and our team, our design team says it often is comprehension before consistency. So there's this idea or concept that hey, when you make designs, you should make them consistent, right? Like you have a you have a blue button and you better make it blue the next one in the same look, right? Like make well, it the consistent. Be blue. Yep. Yeah, they have to be blue. Blue is the best color. Um, but when you design for like, when you don't think about a person's comprehension, it's like, well, is that actually understandable? Like, does someone get that kind of design in that context? You have to think about the context. And so sometimes people get caught up in you know especially people aren't that aren't designed first but even designers we get caught up in like oh we have to be consistent right so when we create a design system like okay like these are our buttons or these are our whatever like this is their ux base ux kind of style the way that you navigate this app or whatever um that's all fine as long it's as as long as people understand it how, how it is. If you need to do something a little different, don't be scared to do something different if it's more um, understandable to somebody. Yeah, if it improves the comprehension. That's right, if it improves the comprehension. Nice, comprehension before consistency. Mm-hmm. Is it consistency, was that the right word? Yeah, yeah, okay, so consistency is great, but always look at the comprehension first. Love that, I really like that. Okay, now this one is just sort of a fun question, but. Karina, tell me your best joke. Do you got a joke in there? <laughs> okay, kind of cheesy. As but... the best ones are. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you call a lazy UX designer? I don't know. Slack. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. I like it. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> All right, Karina, you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question. This is where I have a question for you from my last guest, and oh you gosh. get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. So my previous guest was Patty, from, uh, who's a visual designer in the Bay Area, and she's done work with Apple. She's done work with BlackBerry, uh, San Jose Giants. Like, So she's done a lot of really cool work. And she wanted to ask you, movie or TV show, um, or what movie or TV show, or let me rephrase that, is there a movie or TV show that has caused you to rethink things or change perspectives? Hmm. And if so, what is that? Um, okay, not so serious, but The Office it was like totally my life for a while and like I could relate to it so much. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can actually rewatch that show. I just love it. <laughs> like, awesome. I mean, not, not everything about it. It was almost like, I wish my workday sometimes I, I wish I had a Dwight Schrute in my office, <laughs> but um, yeah, I love, I don't know. I love the office. Who doesn't? Awesome. Yeah. So that watching the office caused you to go like, I wish I had some of these characters in my office. It just add to the experience. 
Yeah, I wish I had a Dwight to work with, but. Wish I had a Dwight. Awesome. Karina, what is the question that you would like me to ask the next guest for you? Yeah, um, what other areas of the design world interest you? So maybe share a project you worked on or anything. Yeah. So what other areas of the design world interest you? Yeah, like, you know how some people, they they get into fashion design, interior decorating, physical product design, or something like that. Cool. Mm -hmm. I like it. And with that, Karina, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been awesome chatting with you. Awesome. It was so nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. First up, the link to Karina's website will be down in the description of this podcast. Go check out her work, see what she's got cooking. Second, if you're ready for that label design course coming up on June 22nd, don't wait around for that. Start learning now. Go to printdesignacademy.com and start learning label design. Goodness gracious. Go get that free guide. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week, y'all. Bye.